Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. series today. This is week four. And uh, if you haven't been with us, this series started by uh, me having a conversation with a man who had been deeply, deeply wounded when he was a child, deeply wounded uh, in the church by Christians. And it just caused him to have uh, an understandably bad view of the church and of Christians and even of God because he he understandably said, why would God let things like that happen? And that just broke my heart and it it stuck with me and uh, caused me to start talking to some people and asking uh, a bunch of people who aren't uh, believers in Christ or some who are, but they want nothing to do with Christians, want nothing to do with the church. And I said, what is it about us? What are the negative things you see in us? They keep you away from God or from the church. And so we looked our first week at hypocrisy, that we're, we're hypocrites. We looked at uh, our prejudice. We looked last week at how judgmental Christians are. And, and today, as we wrap this up, this is, this is both uh, a common thing that, that non-Christians say about Christians that keeps them away from God. But it's also kind of a turning point for us. I don't want to just leave us with this series. I I, want to kind of lay the the foundation for change. But what non-Christians say about Christians is, you're no different than anybody else. You're no different than anybody else. And just like the claim of hypocrisy and prejudice and judgmentalism, I think they're right. I think they're right. It was hilarious. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, I shared, and I kept the guy's name uh, out of my illustration, but I showed you some posts on Facebook of of, uh, what some people had said, some Christian friends of mine, and how they had just been judgmental uh, towards someone and condemned them because they were different. And last Sunday, I posted the topic of our message about us being judgmental, and I put a video also on Facebook, and when I got home, this just, this just cracked me up, when I got home, in response to the video I'd posted, in response to me saying non-Christians say that Christians are too judgmental, and I agree with them, in response to that was someone who said, thank you for listening, I shared that with you last week, that she had, had participated in my survey and said, thanks for listening. And then the next response was from the guy whose name I removed from my illustration last week. And he goes, well, non-Christians are judgmental too. And they can be hypocrites. And, they can, and he, just, he just lashed out. And I showed it to Valerie. And she goes, who said that? I said, the same guy I talked about today. And this is a good guy, you know. But he just has this attitude. And one of the things that he posted last Sunday was... If it's the truth and if God's word says it's sin, then it's okay to tell people that they're wrong. And I'm pretty much sure that by the way he just worded that, that if he tells somebody they're wrong, he doesn't do it with love or grace or concern for them, wanting to see them restored like we saw Jesus' example last week. I'm pretty sure he just smashes them and then wonders why no one's attracted to Christ through his life. And so today, as we look at this claim, I agree that people could look and say, Christians are no different than non-Christians. One of the ways that that shows up is during elections. You know, during elections, uh, especially the presidential elections, Congress, Senate, (laughs) Governor of Florida, lots of different issues, uh, here's what happens. Christians don't vote any differently than non-Christians. Now, you would think that we would. You would think that as Christians, we would have perhaps a different set of values that maybe we'd be concerned with, is this person a righteous person or not? Will they uphold biblical values or not? I mean, the Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. So we should want 
righteous leaders. But unfortunately, rarely is that the criteria. The, the Christians say instead, is this guy going to raise my taxes or not? Is this guy going to cut my benefits or not? Is this guy going to affect how much money's in my wallet? Or is he going to affect my health care? And so we, we vote based on very, very selfish Needs a, a friend of mine a number of years ago. It was when Bill Clinton was either running the first time or the second time, and, and he took out a full-page ad in USA Today newspaper addressing Christians, and he said, "Don't put your wallet in front of the Ten Commandments." And what he was trying to say to us is, vote based on God's perspective, not your personal desires or feelings. His church lost their 501c3 tax-exempt status. It was a landmark case over my friend putting that ad because it mentioned his church's name. And uh, they lost their tax-exempt status because of that, because the church isn't supposed to say anything about it. Anybody else can say anything about politics. Anybody else can say what they want about any. Canada, but church, oh, we're not supposed to do that. So Christians don't vote any differently, typically, than non-Christians. The, the divorce rate in America, if you look and say how many Christians are divorced versus non-Christians, there's no difference. And, and we can go down a whole long list of things that you would kind of think Christians would view differently, but we really don't. I, I, I still remember that years ago, uh, a survey came out that when, when a Christian group, like a big church group or a Christian conference, when, when they rent a, a hotel and they're meeting there and there's lots of people, pastors' conference, whatever it is, the use of the pay-per-view pornography that's available in most hotels sky rockets. Ouch. Ouch. Wouldn't you kind of think that if it was a group of Christians, especially a group of Christian leaders or pastors, that, boy, they'd see things like that just go down. No, it skyrockets when there's a group of Christians in a hotel. Now, here's, here's the deal. We can either hear things like that and say, man, that's just the way it is. We can hear things like that and go, okay, is that me? Because maybe it applies to me, maybe it doesn't. But if it does, we can hear things like that and say, do I want to be like that or do I want to be different? Do I want to be different? And if we're not different, if Christians aren't different than anybody else, why would anybody else want to become a Christian? If people who claim to believe in a God who is the creator of the universe, in a God who, who is all-powerful, in a God who is totally holy and righteous, and yet totally loving and forgiving. If we claim to believe in that God, that God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die to pay for all of our sins, if we claim to believe in him, but our lives are no different than anybody else's, why would anybody else want to know what it is we believe in? Why would anybody else care? If we're no different than anybody else, what does that say about God? Does that say, well, God's powerless? Does that say, well, God, that whole faith thing is just fake? It's just a facade? We know that's not a facade. We know God isn't powerless. But if we're living lives without power, if we're living lives that aren't any different than anybody else's, people could understandably get the assumption that if that's the way they are, then that's the way God is. I had that same assumption. I grew up in church, went every week of my life. My mother was the uh, Sunday school teacher. She was the youth director. My dad was on every committee that there was. The old saying, if the church doors were open, they were there, that was us. That was us. And by the time I turned 17, I thought, you know what? This is just a, like no different than the JCs or the Kiwanis or the, you know, this is just a group of people that gets together 
And some of them are just trying to show off for others, and some of them are more concerned with what kind of clothes they wear than. And some of us, some of them just want to be seen. And but I, I don't see any difference in these people. I don't see any any. I don't see any proof that there really is a God at all. And a guy, some of you remember him, a guy named John Lennon, told me God was dead. And I thought, well, I've been in church every week of my life, and I don't see any evidence to the contrary. I don't see, I think he's probably right. And so I falsely assumed that because church was dead, that God was dead. And I walked away from church, and I walked away from God. So is it shocking that people that maybe weren't raised in church, that maybe didn't have any foundation, would look and say, well, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want anything to do with their God. And so even though it shines no semblance of truth about God, God's all-powerful, even if we don't allow his power to work in our lives. God is pure and holy, even if we live lives that are unholy. God is righteous, even if we are involved in all kinds of unrighteous things. It it really has has nothing to do with God. It's not his fault. But we're reflecting our lives when we put that name of Christ follower, when we put that title of believer on our lives, we're reflecting God. And so people look at our lives and they assume bad things about God if they don't see anything good or different in our lives. And the opposite is what God wants. He wants his his power, he wants his love, he wants the characteristics of Christ to to reflect through our lives out to others. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to look at. Because Jesus taught that, that Christians would be recognizable by what they do. He said, this is how they'll know that you're my followers, that you're love one another. He said, this is how people will know if you've got certain characteristics, fruit in your lives. That's how people will know that you belong to me. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in uh, verse 1, or we'll put the words up on the slides here for you, or also printed out in your outline this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, so get rid of of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Notice it says all. Get rid of all. Be done with all. And the Greek word there that this was written in for the word all means each, every, any, all of, Everything, the whole, it's talking about not just get rid of some of this stuff, but get rid of all of it, is what Peter's saying. Get rid of all of it. Be done with all of it. Evil behavior, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. None of those things are acceptable to God, and so none of them should be acceptable To us, evil behavior, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. None of those things draw non-Christians to God. In fact, they drive people away from God. So what do these things look like? Evil behavior. Well, we we saw uh, two weeks ago that our prejudice, when we show favoritism towards one person over another, and if, if you remember, James talked about you know a rich guy walking into church and a poor guy walking into church, and he said, when you tell the rich guy, oh, come over here, we're so glad you're here, we want to take good care of you, and the poor guy walks in, and you go, yeah, you can just stand over there. When we do that, James said it comes from evil in our hearts. Now we think, oh, I'm just being a little bit political. I of course want to take care of the rich guy. Now James said it comes from evil in our hearts. And sometimes we think, well, Christians wouldn't do that, would they? Would they really treat a poor person differently? Well, read church history. We used to charge people to sit 
It was pew tax. You had to have your own pew. You had to pay money for that pew. And some poor guy just had to, if there was room, was maybe allowed to stand in the back. That's not that long ago that we treated people like that. And it's still going on today. He says, get rid of all deceit. Sometimes we deceive each other in the church, and sometimes we deceive ourselves. It always shocks me, and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I do this. I'm sure I've done it, but it, it always shocks me when we deceive ourselves, because it, typically when we're deceiving ourselves, we're not deceiving anybody else. You know, there's people that say, "Oh, they try to put on the you know the the, the big face and try to impress the pastor," and I'm almost always go, "Really? You think I'm buying that?" Just be yourself, man. You don't have to try to put on some false mask, some false face. And, and, and that's what hypocrisy is, is get rid of all hypocrisy. That's when, when we looked at hypocrisy a few weeks ago, we saw that hypocrisy is either saying one thing and doing another, or it's putting on a false face. It's putting on a mask. It's pretending to be someone that we're not. And I don't know where that ever came from among Christians. Because Jesus chose everybody just the way they were. He didn't choose the guys that looked the best and, you know, had all the good, look at me, I can do all this. No, he chose, he chose bad guys with messed up lives and average guys and normal guys. He just chose people, not based on who they were, but based on what he was going to do with their lives. He says, get rid of all jealousy. You know, jealousy really... It, You know, Daniel, I wish I was 35. I really do. 35. I mean, can you imagine? Larry, can you imagine being 35? Take it in a heartbeat, man. What about you, Buster? 35? Were you healthier when you were 35? Didn't have all the back pain? Hadn't had all the surgery? I wish I could be 35. Oh, that sounds like jealousy, doesn't it? Now, that sounds like acceptable jealousy, though, doesn't it? But see, here's what jealousy is. Jealousy is saying, I'm not content with what God has given me, so I want what he, somebody else has. Or I'm not content with who I am, so I want to be somebody else. We're not satisfied with what God's given us, or we're not satisfied with who God's created us to be. I hate it when some humble person who is just a person of incredible faith with such obvious gifting by God apologizes like, oh, I just don't have anything. You don't have anything. Oh, my gosh. You've got, man, don't you see this gift that God's given you? I hate it when people don't see their own gifting that God's given them. They, they, and it's usually the, the humble people that are this way. They just think, well, yeah, I can't. I have nothing to give to God. And usually you're looking at them going, oh, my gosh, I wish people prayed as much as you pray. I wish people cared as much as you care. But, but we somehow think we're, we're just not content with who God made us to be. If everybody was as loud as a, and obnoxious as me, can you imagine? We need sweet, quiet people like my wife. Oh, my gosh. We do. We do. We need everybody. And, and so jealousy can come from just not accepting who God's created us to be or not uh, being content with what God's given us. The next thing he says is unkind speech. Unkind speech. You know what the, the, the original word for that word that's translated here, unkind speech? The original Greek word means defamation. Defamation. Now, we think unkind speech, you know, I've been having some back pain again even after my first treatment and I was doing better. And, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have changed the transmission in our car. I just, you know, should have known better. But... but no, I didn't do that. But I did do some stuff that anybody else would think, oh, well, so you couldn't go run errands for two hours? Well, no, evidently I couldn't. So I've been in pain for the last several days. And when I'm in pain, I'm not the sweet, lovable person that you all might be fooled into thinking that I am. And instead, Valerie's driving because I can't drive, and she's driving, and I'm going, watch out, what? What are you swerving about? What are you? Oh, careful. Oh, you hit that pothole. Oh, my gosh, that hurt my back. 
I get a little testy. I get a little grumpy. I get a little short-tempered because I'm in pain. But my unkind words like, why'd you hit that pothole? Don't seem so bad to me. Especially since I could see the pothole and thought we should have missed the pothole. And you might think, well, I've got, you know, yeah, I wasn't real nice to that person when I said it, a little bit unkind. But the original word here is defamation. That's so much bigger than just a little grumpy. Than just, oh, I haven't had my coffee yet. I'm a little grumpy. No, defamation. What happens if, if you defame someone in America? You can get sued. It can be a, a, a civil charge. But it can also be a criminal charge in our country. Defamation. We're talking about tearing someone down. Defamation. We're talking about ripping them apart, destroying their character. So unkind speech is so much more than just a little bit of grumpiness. Unkind speech is anytime we put someone down instead of building them up. Anytime we discourage someone instead of encouraging them. If we criticize someone instead of complimenting them. It's words that cut instead of words that heal. So Peter says, get rid of all that stuff. You want to follow Christ, get rid of all that stuff. He said it 2,000 years ago because it was a problem. And the cool thing about the Bible being the living word of God is, it's still a problem, isn't it? It's a problem in my life and it's a problem in our lives. And so he still says, get rid of that stuff. It's not good for you. It's not good for other people. And it sure isn't a good reflection on God. Verse 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. So that you'll grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. What do newborn babies do with food? They eat it all the time. How can something so little eat so much? And yes, I know it doesn't all stay in them. They do other things a lot too. But they, you know, newborn babies eat all the time. They want to eat. They want to eat. They want to eat. That's all they want to do. Peter says, if you're a follower of Christ, be like that. Want to eat, want nourishment, want to grow in your knowledge of Christ and your faithfulness to Christ. Our daughter's youngest child is a year old, Noel. And I think she's now bigger than her two year old sister. Evangelina's two is getting smaller, like the sizes she wears. Valerie volunteers at. at uh, Baby Mart, a ministry here in Melbourne, and she always buys whatever the anything in any size for anybody she knows. She buys it and, and gives it to people, and so she's always buying clothes. And like Evangeline's wearing smaller clothes, smaller clothes, smaller clothes. Noel is wearing. She's going to be in the extra large women's department by the time she's two. She's huge, huge baby. How did she get to be like that? She eats all the time. She eats all the time. She's craving pure spiritual milk. Maybe not so pure. It's got lots of calories. But she's craving. She wants to eat all the time. And so she's growing. Evangeline at two, we don't know why she's not growing. We don't, I mean, she's healthy. She's fine. But she just has started going the opposite direction, getting smaller. Same thing happens to us. When you become a new Christian, man, all you want to do is learn more about God and you want to read his word and you want to be in church and you want to worship and you want to go to Bible studies or home groups or life groups. And you, Man, I just want to know more and more and more. You crave that food and you start growing and growing and growing. And then at some point, we just kind of go the opposite direction and we quit growing. And if we're not growing, we're not just staying the same. We're usually kind of getting smaller in our faith and our desire for God. He said, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Cry out for this nourishment. 
See, there's people who, who are saved, but they're stagnant. There's people who are saved, but they're shallow. There's people that came to Christ when they were 20 and at age 40. There's no difference in their faith. There's no more, there's no more knowledge. There's no more obedience. They've just kind of stayed shallow. And they've just said, I just want a little bit of God. I want God, but I just want a little bit of God. And, and, and Peter says, cry out. Cry out for more because God wants to give us more. He wants us to continue to grow and grow and grow and get healthier and stronger. And he wants to build up our faith. And, and, and so he says, cry out for that. I've never met a person who said, you know, I cry out to God because I want to grow and I want to learn more. I cry out to God, but I'm just not growing. Now, anybody I ever know that cries out to God meets God. Maybe not instantly. Sometimes in your prayer life, you're going, man, I'm crying out to God and I'm just not getting an answer. Well, that's different than crying out to God saying, I just want to, I, I just want to be closer to you and I want to follow you and I want more of you in my life. When we cry out to God for his spiritual food, he feeds us. He feeds us. Verse 3 says, now that you've had this taste of the Lord's kindness. Throughout this section of scripture, Peter's always quoting other scripture. He quotes different psalms all throughout this. And this is from Psalm 34.8. A familiar psalm. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've often encouraged uh, unbelievers to do that. People that say, I, I, I want to, if God's real, I want him. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm seeking. I'm interested. And I said, well, taste and see. Try him. Try him. Taste and see. Why? Because when we taste and see, we find out the Lord really is good. And, and, and so Peter's saying, now that you've had this taste of the Lord's kindness, who knows where the best bourbon chicken Chinese food is in all of Brevard County? Anybody tell me? That may be subjective, but I typically think I'm always right. So, you know, you might go to a Chinese buffet. You might go to a more upscale Chinese restaurant. You might like to go to a Thai restaurant, Japanese restaurant. The absolute best bourbon chicken in Brevard County is the little sample they hand you in the food court of Melbourne Square Mall. I don't know what drug they put on that stuff, but one bite, you taste that one bite on a little toothpick. I, I take with me a change of clothes, a disguise, sometimes a mustache, beard, you know. I walk through and get the sample, and I go over to the restroom, and I change, and I come back to get another sample. Man, it is so good. It is so good. And guess what happens? Once you taste it, you want more, don't you? You can't just say, yeah, that was good. I'm, oh, I'm satisfied now. Heck no. You taste that one little piece on a toothpick or two or three like I get, you say, I'd like to order the bourbon chicken, please. And they say, would you like rice or noodles with that? No, I just want more bourbon chicken. And which side dishes? No, just give me more bourbon. I mean, it's just so good. It just tastes so very good. You taste it and you want more. You taste it and you want more. How many people, even if you don't care much for barbecue, and if you do care for barbecue, please come to our house immediately after this today because we've got two uh, pork butts that smoked yesterday and they are all ready and waiting to be eaten. But even if you don't like barbecue, how many of you notice when you go past a barbecue restaurant, all of a sudden you want barbecue? They don't give you a taste. What do they do? <sighs> whoever invented the big exhaust fan to blow that, even if it's fake barbecue, if they're not cooking it there, they put the hickory logs out there and blow that smoke, and you just go by and go, oh, my gosh, I want barbecue. You could have just eaten. You say, oh, my gosh, I want barbecue. Why? They give you that, that sample. They give you that sample. They're trying to trick you. God doesn't trick us. Peter's not saying, well, now that you've had this taste, I know you'll be, no, it's, now that you've had this taste of God, this taste of a relationship with God, this taste of God's love, this taste of God's goodness, now that you've had that, dive in. Don't just take a taste and go dive in. Verse 4 says, you're coming to Christ. Now that you've had this taste, you're coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. 
He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. The cornerstone. We don't use that word much anymore, but if you've ever been in construction, you know what the cornerstone is. It's the first stone laid in a building. It's the first stone. And every other stone is based on that. Everything else lines up with that first stone. And if it doesn't line up with that first stone, the walls are going to be all over the place. If it wasn't for that cornerstone setting the standards, setting the direction, setting the pace... The the thing might fall apart. The cornerstone is so important in construction. And so so Peter's saying that we're coming to Christ here. We're talking about this relationship with Christ, who is the cornerstone of our faith and the cornerstone of our lives. And everything needs to line up with him. He's the foundation that our faith is built on. And you, you and I, verse 5, are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. How cool is that? Christ is the cornerstone and you and I get to be part of this. And God's building us living stones that God is using. What's more, you are his holy priest. You are his holy priest through mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. The series we're starting next week is based on questions. Barbara and Roy had one one night and Bob had one. Last Sunday, I think it was. Questions. I think, you know, we have so many questions about God, about the Bible, about different issues. We have so many questions as Christians. And sometimes we just go, sometimes we think we're the only ones with that question. Uh Uh-uh. Lots of people. Usually, whatever the question is, usually lots of people have have wondered about that or thought about it. And sometimes we're embarrassed to ask. We think, like, well, everybody knows the answer but me. Well, that's rarely the case. And so we're going to do a series based on your questions. You can write them on the back of your connection card today and just drop them in the, the, the offering basket later. You can email me your questions. If you don't want anybody to know it was you that asked the question, then you know, just put anonymous. And if you're like me and you can't spell anonymous without a spell checker, just put A-N-O-N. I'll know what it means. I'll know what it means. But we're just going to take a different question or several questions maybe every week. And just look at, you know, what does God's word say? What's the answer? Because we've all got questions, and the good thing is God's got the answers. And one of them is about this. Is, do Christians face judgment? What's going to happen? What's going to happen at the end of what we know as life? Are we going to stand before God, and is he going to judge us? Or is he just going to judge the people who didn't believe in him? How's that going to happen? And so this verse, we'll talk about this verse again. Uh, in just a week or so, that anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Verse 7, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. That doesn't sound good. But verse 9, but you are not like that. Who is you? (coughs) Believers. Believers. So, So here there could be this fate that's not good at all. People stumble over Christ and they fall and, and they meet this fate that was planned for them. doesn't sound good at all. But you are not like that. You, you who believe in Christ, who have placed your trust in him, are not like that. Why? For you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. How many of you ever had to try out for a sport? And what was your biggest heart's desire? Oh, they choose me. I hope I make the team. I remember playing four years of Little League in Melbourne Beach. And then you had to move across the street to the bigger field for Senior League. And I had to go try out. 
And I thought, this is bizarre. Why would I have to try out? Don't they know how good I am? Don't they know that last year I was the only kid that had a home run in any team the entire season? Don't they know me? And I mean, frankly, back then in Melbourne Beach, you knew everybody. And I'm thinking, I had to go try out. I went and tried out. I was scared to death. A friend of mine from church and his dad came to watch me try out. That made me even more nervous. I had to try out. I thought, oh, I hope they choose me. All of a sudden, all my confidence was gone. I hope they choose me. I hope, I hope, I hope. If you've ever played just kind of pick up or sandlot ball where you literally stand and say, okay, I'll choose Larry. I'll choose Buster. Okay, I'll choose Bob. I'm not choosing Daniel. No, I can tell. He's got too many muscles. Let the, the other guy have it. No, I'm not choosing Brent. He's in too good a shape. No, I want, the, I want the guys like me. You know, We're not, not many expectations for our team. But if you're standing there and you're not sure if you're going to get chosen or you're the last one chosen, oh, my gosh, you feel terrible, right? You just feel terrible. We want to be chosen. Three years ago, a friend of ours suggested there was a competition. The Food Network and YouTube was having this uh, joint competition online uh, based on their show. If you watch the Food Network, the next Food Network star where they have this competition to see who gets their own show. Well, they did an online version of that three years ago. And a friend of ours said, you should, you should apply for that. You had to submit a video to YouTube. You should apply for that and, and, and show people how you cook uh, date night dinners on Friday night. And I thought, Okay, I could do that. I've never made a video. I cook for Valerie Friday nights. I don't cook for anybody else. I don't, you know, I'm sure I haven't shown anybody or taught anybody, but maybe I could do a video. So I did this video, and I watched it, and I thought, that was really good. The young guy that shot it was like, he made it really good. And I thought, oh, cool. They won't choose me, but that's cool. And, and so I upload it, and other people from all over the country uploaded videos. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing, wow, there's a whole bunch of people watching that. Because pe- people were supposed to watch, and they could click like if they liked it. And in, in two weeks, 30,000 people had viewed that video. And I'm thinking, I might get chosen. How cool would that be if I get chosen? What if I got chosen? And, and so the Food Network producers chose the finalists. They were the ones making the first choice, and then people would vote to determine the actual winner. And so I I still remember the day that they were going to announce at 1 o'clock on whatever day it was, we're going to tell who's the finalist. And Valerie and I were super, super excited. We're sitting there, we're waiting on the computer, waiting, waiting. Well, actually, she was taking a nap, and I was waiting on the computer, and I'm staring at it, and I'm staring at it, and she's asleep, and I'm staring at it, and I'm staring at it. And all of a sudden, up pops this screen with Bobby Flay and Jada De Laurentiis and my video. And I was chosen to be a finalist. And I'm like, they chose me! They chose me! I've never, I've never done a video before. I've never taught anybody. I've never shown anybody. They chose me! I was so excited. And I went over, and Valerie's asleep. And I went over and sat next to her on the couch, and I put the computer right in front of her, and I aimed the screen at her, and I sat there waiting for her to wake up, waiting for her to wake up. And I sat a little closer to her, and I moved the computer around, made a little noise, waiting for her to wake up. Finally, she wakes up, and I've got the computer screen where it's just like right there in her face. She wakes up, and she goes, oh, 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 and I'm like, oh, she's excited too. She goes, you're sitting on my foot. So I got off of her foot, and I said, look. And she looked, and said, finalist. She looked. Well, then she started screaming again, and that time she really was excited, because I was chosen. How cool is that? And I'll never forget, that was the producers choosing, and then anybody that wanted to could go vote, and I asked people all over the world. I, I literally you know, went and knocked on people's doors and said, would you vote for my video? I'm at the doctor. I'm like, would you vote for my video? You know, and I'm just... Uh, unfortunately, it was another guy that had lots of food videos, like hundreds, and he had 50,000 followers on YouTube. I hadn't had a YouTube account until I uploaded this. Uh, not that I'm still bitter, but uh, <laughs> anyway, they're going to announce the winner. And I'm sitting there again, watching, 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 refreshing my screen. 
you know, such and such a minute that's supposed to happen. I'm refreshing my screen. And finally, my screen says, congratulations, you are the winner. That was so cool. Until I scrolled down and it said, Chef John. <laughs> Literally, all I could see on the screen was, congratulations, you're the winner. I'm like, I actually won. I'm getting my own show on the Food Network. I scroll down, Chef John. See, when you're chosen, it feels awesome. And when you're not chosen, it feels really, really bad. Really, really bad. And Peter. Peter is saying to those followers of Christ and to this group, of Christ followers, he is saying, you are a chosen people. Chosen, not by the Food Network producers, not by 50,000 voters across America. You are chosen by the creator of heaven and earth. Chosen by God. You are royal priest, he says. You are royal priest. A holy nation. God's own possession. Who are you if you're a Christ follower? You're chosen by God. You're a priest. Well, wait a minute. I thought priests had to wear this collar. I, my barber is, is a Catholic lady. She's from New York. Uh, I mean, real deep New York as in she's been here probably 20, 30 years, but she still sounds like, you know, she's still from the Bronx. She's got that heavy accent and, you know. She's her family's from Sicily, and man, she's got this heavy accent. And I'm sitting there uh, this week, and she puts the black thing over me, and she puts the white tissue around. For if you're a guy, I guess you know the drill, right? A little white tissue thing, and she puts the black thing over me. And I look up in the mirror, and and I look like I had the white collar and the black. I mean, I look, I look. I thought Chris just made me a priest, and I started to make a joke about it, but. Uh, if you're a Catholic or Episcopalian or any of those kind of backgrounds, you know that the pastor of the miserable was called the priest. But here, Peter is saying, you are royal priest. And this is called the priesthood of believers. It means that everyone, everyone is a believer in Jesus Christ. We're all priests. We all have direct access to God. You are royal priest. You are a holy Nation. He's talking about the family of God. We're a holy nation. God's very own possession. You know, a lot of people try to struggle with, well, who am I? I'm trying to figure out who I am. I just, you know, I just don't know. Who am I? And, and the bigger question is, whose are we? And, and here Peter's saying, who are you? You're chosen by God. Whose are you? You're God's very own Possession. Why does all this matter? He says, as a result, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Notice, showing others the goodness of God. See, the, this theme that we're wrapping up is that the bad things that we show to the world, not bad things about God, but bad things about us, but when we get rid of all those things and, and we live the holy life that God calls us to live, when we live like royal priests, when we live like people who've been chosen by God and chosen for God's mission of letting the world know the good news about him, when we do that, when we do that, then, then we can show others the goodness of God. We can show them through our life, I was in the darkness and God's called me out of that and now I'm living in the light. Some Christians try to go back in the darkness. Some Christians try to live with one foot in the darkness and one foot in the life. But we do that because we don't understand that God's light really is wonderful. This new life that he has for us really is awesome. Look, look at the contrast in verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people... Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. 
We were all living in the dark spiritually, and God brings us into the light. We, we, we were no one, and then when we uh, are chosen by God and adopted by him, we become someone. We, we didn't have any mercy. We were subject to God's wrath, but now we, we've received the mercy of God. And then verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. What does that mean? Temporary residents, foreigners. It, it, it means this isn't our home. As Christians, we have dual citizenship. Yeah, we're, we're, we're living here, but this isn't our home. Our, our, our real citizenship is in the kingdom of God. It's much bigger than this. It's much better than this. It's much longer lasting than this. We're just passing through here. So what is he warning us about? Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. He says, I'm warning you against worldly desires instead of godly desires. A worldly lifestyle instead of a godly lifestyle. Worldly values instead of godly values. And then notice the word war. We're talking about a battle here. There really is a battle going on in us, over us, over our families, over our nation. God's way versus the world's way. God's plan for us versus God's mission for us. Light versus dark. And then verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Notice the word be careful. We've got to be careful not to fall into evil behavior. We've got to be careful not to fall into deceit or hypocrisy or jealousy or unkind speech. And, and then notice the word honor. That's what the series has been about. Discovering anything in us that's dishonorable to God and allowing God to change us so that our lives honor God. And when we do that, when we live for God, we bring honor to Him and we attract other people to Him. And that honors God So God wants us to get rid of all the stuff we've been talking about the last three weeks. He wants us to cry out to him, to hunger and thirst for more of him. We've been chosen by God. We belong to God. We're a, a, a royal, holy nation. The question is, are we going to follow him? Are we going to walk in the light? Are we going to cry out to him? Or are we going to be satisfied with the things in us that dishonor him? As we close this morning, I've got just a short video that I want you to see. This woman is just, I believe, a prophet of God. And I've never said that about, I don't think about anyone before. Uh, She's from Australia. She and her husband have a ministry to stop uh, human trafficking uh, around the world. And we got to see her earlier this year at our uh, Network of Churches conference. And she really just drives us home. She's she's doing this at a, a, a conference, pastors and leaders conference in Atlanta. And she's just talking about what what Christ has called us to be. So just watch that. Christine. Hey everyone, I'm dropping into you today and I'm here at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta and I was just thinking, um, the whole conference is about the word make, what is God making you? And I can, you know, for me personally, I always remember when Jesus was calling his disciples, he was walking along the shoreline of Capernaum and he stopped and he called them and he said, follow me and I will make you, that word make is to shape, to frame, to form, to construct. He says, I will make you not rich, not famous, not a celebrity. He said, I will make you into fishes of men. And I think it's very interesting. I often stop and ask myself, if whatever else is going on in my life, and all the stuff that we're doing through the A21 campaign and Equipment Empowered Ministries and all that the Lord allows us to be a part of, I ask myself personally, outside of the altar calls that I give on stage, Christine, are you being made, shaped, framed, formed, and constructed into a fisher of men? And uh, it's not sort of like something that's a gift mix or a personality profile. All of us are called to be fishers of men. And if you're following Christ, then he is making you into a fisher of men. So my question would be, if you're not becoming a fisher of men, I'm not sure who you're following. But I will tell you, it's not Jesus. 
Because Jesus doesn't say, follow me, I'm going to make you a famous author, I'm going to make you a celebrity speaker, I'm going to make you this, I'm going to make you that. He says essentially, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So in all our becoming, and in all our being made, and in all our doing, let's ask ourselves the simple question, am I becoming a fisher of men? Is there something attractional? Is there something magnetic? Is there something compelling about me? Are the things being stripped away from me that would repel people so that I am becoming a fisher of men? As the Word of God transforms me from the inside out, am I becoming a fisher of men? Are people being attracted to Jesus because of who I'm becoming in Him and the things that I'm doing for Him? And if they're not, then you've got to ask yourself the question, really who are you following? Your own selfish ambition or Jesus? Because those of us that are following Him, basically He strips away everything that would stop people coming to know Him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples instantly, the Bible says, just before they became disciples, instantly dropped their nets. Immediately, the scripture says, dropped their nets and followed Him. I wonder, you know, if we immediately, how many times do we have to kind of hear that call? before we drop our nets. But I tell you, every time you drop your nets to your own agenda, your own desires, your own flesh, and follow him, I think the sound of those nets dropping thunders in heaven. All the angels of the angels of heaven go, whew, we found someone that wants to do something awesome for God. And I think his eyes are searching to and fro across the earth, still looking for those people that are willing to immediately drop their nets and follow him. Make sure today that you become a fisher of men. Love you guys. If she talked a little faster, she'd be more interesting. (laughs) Father God, my prayer for me and my prayer for our church is that we would not keep anyone away from you, that we would not drive anyone away from you, that we would not be comfortable with any hypocrisy in our lives or our church, that we would not be comfortable with any prejudice in our lives or in our church, that we would not be comfortable being judgmental either in our lives or in our church, that we would not be comfortable with any of the things that that Peter has, has pointed out to us here to get rid of, but God, that we would want to attract people to you, that we would want to follow you fully, serve you wholly, completely, so that we would bring honor to you, and so that we would draw people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.